Well, this is the second Sunday of Advent, and I want to talk to you this morning on the prophecies of Advent. One thing that is clear, as we study the Gospel accounts of the birth of Christ, is that that birth was a direct fulfillment of many, many Old Testament prophecies. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to start with a little Bible study. So take your Bibles, and let's turn to the book of Matthew, first of all. The book of Matthew. Let's share some of the references here that help us to see how the birth of Christ was a fulfillment of prophecy. Fourteen times in the book of Matthew, we have a reference to the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy in the life of Christ. Not all of those have to do with his birth, but some of them do. For example, look at Matthew chapter 1 and look at verse number 18. Verse number 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as followed as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse number 20. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Jump down to verse 22. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And so all those verses, those verses in the first part of Matthew, are a direct fulfillment of that scripture that is referenced there, and that's Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Look at chapter 2, verse number 1 of Matthew. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying that, along with some other verses there, if you read a little bit further, you'll see that as a direct fulfillment of Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2, where we learn that he was to be born in Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Verse number two, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And we read in Numbers chapter 24 and verse number 17, a scepter shall, a star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of tumult. Isaiah chapter 60, the Gentiles shall come to your light. And kings to the brightness of your rising. And we could go on. Those are just a few in Matthew. Jump over to Mark. Look at the book of Mark. And look at the very first verse of Mark. The very first verses in the gospel of Mark. Mark does not actually talk about the birth of Jesus Christ. But he does start here with a reference to the fact that it's fulfilled prophecy. Look at Mark chapter 1 in the beginning. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet. And so the Gospel of Mark starts out reminding us that Jesus is a fulfillment of prophecy. Look at Luke, the very first part of Luke. I love the sound of rustling Bible pages. Luke, again, starts off with a reference to fulfilled prophecy. Inasmuch as many have taken it had to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. And Luke goes on. He had some contemporary prophecies. He had some, some prophecies that were taking place even in that day, right up to the time. And even after Jesus was born, still prophecies about him were taking place. For example, Luke is the one who tells us about the angel Gabriel's prophecy. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name 
Jesus, he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. That's Luke chapter 1, verses 31 and following. It's Luke who tells us about Zechariah's prophecy. Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, blessed is the Lord God of Israel. He has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began. And it was Luke in chapter 2 who told us of old ancient Simeon's prophecy. Luke chapter 2, verse 34. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And so the first coming of Christ, His birth in Bethlehem and every aspect of what took place there was in direct fulfillment of prophecy. And we remember that during this Advent season. And of course, there were other prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ that had nothing to do with his birth. They had to do with his death. They had to do with his resurrection. For example, Zechariah said he would enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Also, Zechariah said he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Isaiah said he would be spat upon and struck. And that he would be crucified with other prisoners. The psalmist said he would be pierced through his hands and his feet. And that soldiers would gamble for his clothing. Isaiah said he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. And the psalmist said he would be resurrected. There are many prophecies that are yet unfulfilled. Because they refer to the second coming. And so Advent for us who live between the first and the second coming. Is a reminder of both of those things. We look back and we worship and we praise God that Jesus came the first time. And we look forward to the fact that he is coming yet again. All as the prophets have spoken. And so this morning I've asked, where is she at? Ashley, if she will come and light our prophecy candle. She's going to light the candle that we lit last week as well as another purple one. As we think about the prophecy of Advent. nicely done. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the prophecies that exist in our Bible. Lord, it is such amazing evidence to us of what we see, amazing evidence of the reality of of our Savior. And I pray today that as we look at one particular prophecy, I pray you'll speak to our heart. And I pray, Father, that if there are those here who are wondering about Jesus, if there are those here who are struggling with any of these things, that, Lord, this will convince them. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you help us to see how utterly impossible it would be, apart from the power of God, that these things could be fulfilled in this man, Jesus. So help us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 6 is where we'll be the rest of the morning. Isaiah chapter 6. There are all these different prophecies we could look at today, but I want to pick just one, and I want to concentrate on it for the few minutes that remain to us today. Isaiah chapter... I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Now, I admit that this is just my opinion, this is just my bias, but I happen to think this is the greatest Christmas text that exists in the Bible. Uh, It certainly is my favorite prophecy related to Christmas. It must have been one that spoke to the heart of Handel as well, because he included it in his wonderful Messiah. And I can't read this. I cannot read this without that soaring melody going through my head. I would sing it for you, but I don't want to torture you. Uh, Unto us a child is born. And in this greatest of Christmas prophecies, I want to just pull out three things. There's so many things we could talk about here, but three things I want us to notice here that were prophesied about Jesus. We're going to learn here that the prophet said he will be a child and a son, both born and given. That's such an important concept that we see in there. He's going to be a child and a son, both born and given. We learn that he's going to rule and reign in peace and justice. And we also learn that his name will be called Wonderful. There's many other things we could pull out of there. But let's just look at those three for a few minutes this morning. First of all, he will be both child and son, both born and given. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6 declares both his humanity, unto us a child is born, and his deity, unto us a son is given. Both are true of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think of that phrase, a child is born. We see images of it everywhere, do we not? We see the baby lying in a manger, lying in straw with animals all around, wrapped in cloths, surrounded by Mary and Joseph and shepherds. And and, uh, usually the wise men are there, although I don't think that's scriptural. Usually the wise men are included in that particular thing. Many of us have nativity scenes in our home, and that's what it looks like, is it not? The fact is the baby is right there. And regardless of how we depict Christmas, regardless of how we depict it, that newborn baby is the central figure. A child is born. A child is born. And by the way, it's interesting, isn't it, how in our day and age so many people are trying to take that out. I just read the other day where a particular mayor, and I can't remember what town this mayor was the mayor of, was quoted as saying, there's no such thing as a Christmas tree, it's actually just a holiday tree. And I thought to myself, well, you know, that guy right there is a fulfillment of prophecy. Fulfillment of the prophecy that I see in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 22 that says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Isn't that a fulfillment of prophecy? Or in Psalm chapter 2 and verse number 4, he that sits in the heavens shall laugh. I can't help but think God must laugh at the foolish attempts of people to take Christ out of Christmas. How ridiculous it is to think that we would, we would celebrate the birthday of a king by removing his name from it. The fact is you can't. You can't remove the child from the day. A child is born. A child is born. In the same way every child is born. He was the Son of God. He was conceived of the Holy Ghost. But he was carried in the womb of Mary for nine months like any other baby. He was born like any other baby. When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman. Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 4. child is born, frail, tiny, and helpless, just like any other newborn baby. Not to be feared, but to be loved. Not to be ignored, but to be cherished. Not to be pushed away, but to be held close and loved. He is the Son of God, yet he did not blaze into our presence in all his blinding glory. He came as a baby. A child is born. And born in a stable. How amazing it is to think that the King of Kings would humble himself. Not demand a royal palace, not demand a five-star hotel for his accommodations. Not expect to demand the treatment that he was accustomed to 
and that he was worthy of. Humility to a degree that we can scarcely comprehend. That he would be born in a stable, amidst livestock, placed in a feeding trough. His birth was not proclaimed in the halls of kings, but heralded by angels to shepherds on a hillside. Lowly, unto us a child is born. Born for all, no matter their need. But the prophet went on, didn't he? He said, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. I was reading a Christmas sermon by a fellow by the name of Lewis Talbot, and he said this about this phrase. He said, let us never fail to recognize the clear teaching of all scriptures, that as the child, he was born into the world on that first Christmas, but as the son of God, he was given to become the world's savior and Israel's Messiah. We spoke earlier of nativity scenes. They're ubiquitous this time of year, are they not? One of the things that we usually see on nativity scenes is we see a star over top of it. Don't we oftentimes depict it that way? And we often imagine that there was light flooding down onto the, onto the scene. A couple of nights ago, Beth and I watched in our annual Christmas ritual, we watched The Nativity, which I don't know if you've ever watched that film or not. It came out a few years ago, and we like to watch it. It's kind of a, a beautiful depiction of the, the birth of Christ. But that's the way they depicted it there, if you've seen that movie. At the very end of the movie, there's the birth scene, there's the, the nativity and all this. and The thing is literally awash with light streaming down from the star. But the fact is there was also a shadow, was there not? The shadow of a cross which darkened the scene even at the birth. For God did not just give a child to be born. He gave a son. A son. His son. To die. You see that baby would soon grow to adulthood. Live a perfect life. Perform amazing acts of love and kindness to others. He would heal the sick. He would make blind eyes see. He would, he would make deaf ears hear. He would make lame legs walk. He would forgive sins. He would even... Raise the dead to life again. Crowds would throng him just to get a glimpse of this wonderful man. His popularity would reach dizzying heights. And all through it all, God would continuously be reminding us, this is my son. He did that at his baptism, did he not? Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 17, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He did it with his disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration when God reminded and said, behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And this son, this son of God was given. His life was given for you and for me. The cross, which was but a shadow at his birth would be the means of his death he was given. He died on the cross to pay for your sins and mine. Isn't that what our most well-known Bible verse tells us? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We need not fear death, for unto us a son is given. Our sins are forgiven. We need to fear no judgment, for unto us a son is given. We who know the son are free and free forever. For unto us a son is given. We have a future in heaven with God. For unto us a son is given. How can we who understand these things not celebrate this time of year? How can we who understand the truth of this not rejoice? We lavish gifts on each other because God has lavished such a gift upon us. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. And so I have to pause here for a second, and I have to ask, do you know this child? 
that was born? Do you know this son that was given? Have you believed in him? Have you accepted him as your Savior and your Lord? Oh, and if not, may I encourage you to do so before it is too late. He will be both child and son. He will be both born and given. The prophet said something else. He said he will also rule and reign in peace and justice. I love that little phrase in this prophecy. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. I love that. In other words, he's going to make everything all right. Everything. You know, it's important to remember as we enjoy the revelry of Christmas, as we enjoy the celebration and the joy and all the festivities that go on with Christmas, it's important to remember, is it not, that not everybody's rejoicing. It's important to remember that some folks are going through hard times. Some people are hurting. As the majority of the world celebrates, some remember that there was a loved one who left the world at Christmas time, and rather than rejoice, they weep. As packages are ripped to shreds beneath Christmas trees, some have no packages, and some have nothing to give or to open themselves and are saddened by their need. Around our world tonight, some are hungry and some are poor and some are alone and some are away from home and some are at war. We ought not to forget that. Some are missing those they love. You know, I've read that depression reaches all-time highs during the Christmas holidays. Many are hurting. I've read that suicides increase during this time of year. While we celebrate the birth of Christ, there are all kinds of folks out there who don't know Christ and don't know where to find their him, uh, Christ. Not only is the provision of the Savior most visible at Christmas time, so too is our need. People are hurting. People need the Lord, the songwriter said. Every day they pass me by. I can see it in their eyes. Empty faces filled with care. Headed who knows where. People need the Lord. And at no time is that more true than at Christmas time. Where is this child, some folks would cry out. If all we did was stop at that last point, some folks would say, where is he? Where is this son that was given for me? Because I don't see him. The fact is, in this life, we can know the child. We can know the son. We can experience salvation and the forgiveness of our sins. And we can have the wonderful assurance that he will give us eternal life. But everything won't be made right until he comes back. Everything won't be made right until the second time he comes. One man said, well actually it was Lewis Talbot, that same sermon I read earlier. He said this, when Jesus comes, when the government shall be upon his shoulder, then there will be justice for all. Then the poor will not be oppressed. Minorities will not be persecuted. Poor suffering Israel will not be hunted and treated with contempt and cruelty. The wicked shall be cut off and immediately compelled to obey the righteous laws. Of the king. Praise the Lord. One of these days, the government will be upon his shoulder. And don't you look forward to that glorious day. He will rule and reign with peace and justice. I hope that encourages you. That encourages me. It encourages me at Christmas time when I think about that. And if you're somebody who struggles, if you're somebody who harbors sad memories of loss during the holidays, or if you wonder why, why you struggle and you feel depressed, when everybody else is celebrating, if you puzzle over dark thoughts while those around you seem to be rejoicing, remember, the government is upon his shoulder. The government will be upon his shoulder. And that's one of those prophecies that hasn't seen ultimate fulfillment yet. It will see fulfillment when he comes back the second time. But it will be fulfilled, just like all the rest of them, because he is coming back. And the second time, he's not coming back as a baby. The second time, he's coming back as a king. 
And that's when this rest of this prophecy of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. So if Christmas is hard for you, remember this. The story didn't end in the manger. The story didn't end on the cross. The story didn't end in the empty tomb. The story didn't end even when Jesus ascended back to heaven. No, there are scenes in this play yet to be written. The increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. He will rule. He will reign in peace and justice. And when he comes back, everything will be made right. One last thing I'll mention and I'll be done. One last thing out of this prophecy. I can't look at this prophecy without noticing that phrase. His name shall be called Wonderful. His name shall be called Wonderful. Names are important, aren't they? I think I told you once about the lawyer whose name was Odd. Did I tell you that? Did I ever tell it? I think I did. I'm going to tell it again. There was a lawyer whose name was Odd. Mr. Odd. He didn't like his name. People would call him up at his office and say, is the Mr. Odd fellow there? Or is that oddball character there? Something like that. He didn't like it. And so he decided he wasn't going to be referred to as Odd anymore. And as a matter of fact, when he got down to the end of his life, he said, I so hate my name Odd that I'm not even going to have it on my tombstone. I don't want anything on my tombstone except here lies an honest lawyer. That's all I want on there. And so thereafter, as people would walk through the cemetery and they'd look at that epitaph on his tombstone, they'd say, well, that's odd. (laughs) Names are important. I read a sermon by Billy Sunday, and Billy Sunday said that there are 256 names in the Bible given to Jesus. I didn't check that. I don't know if it's true, but that's what he said. And this prophecy here lists some of those names. Isaiah's prophecy included several names that could be applied to our king and are applied to our king. He said his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We could talk about all of them. Now, a lot of translations remove the comma between Wonderful and Counselor and say that's one name. His name shall be Wonderful Counselor. That may be true. Probably is true. But I like thinking of Wonderful as a separate designation. Because is anything more Wonderful? than our Savior. Is anything more wonderful than Jesus? We do no damage to the scripture to stop right there and say his name shall be called wonderful. Has anybody ever been born who was more wonderful than Jesus? Billy Sunday said, wonderful refers to something that is transcendently above the common. Wonderful refers to something that is away above the ordinary. Wonderful refers to something that is in a class by itself. That's my Jesus. That's our Savior. Now, of course, his name is actually not wonderful. His name was actually given in the New Testament, right? When the angel said in Matthew chapter 1, verse number 21, call his name Jesus. That's his name. His name will be wonderful, though. Wonderful is simply a a designation, an explanation about that name. That name will be wonderful. And Jesus is wonderful. Think about it. What does Jesus mean? Jesus means Jehovah saves. Jehovah saves, and that's wonderful. Jesus was his name because it described his mission. He shall save his people from their sins. And one day later in his ministry, Jesus said that. He said he had come to seek and to save that which was lost. He had come to save. And if we don't get that part, if we don't see that as the central part of the whole thing, what all the prophecies are telling us, we've missed the whole story of Jesus Christ, have we not? He came to save. He came to save. Christmas is not about presents around the tree. 
Now, I know that may be shocking to some, but it is not about Christmas or presents around a tree. It's not about thousands of imported Italian twinkle lights. It's not about any of those things. It's not about family and friends. Now, that may shock some of you, but it's not. Christmas is not about that. We celebrate Christmas because it's a celebration of Jesus who came to save his people from their sins. That's what Christmas is about. And that's all Christmas is about. Now, I know it's not politically correct to use that word anymore. You know that that word sin? Did some of you cringe when I said that? It's not politically correct. You know, it's been said that if something is politically correct, it's probably biblically incorrect, which is true. The consensus seems to be that if we just ignore the concept of sin, it will go away. But that's not the case. The concept seems to be that it's old-fashioned or unenlightened or intolerant. But the Bible says sin is the heart of every problem we have. And that's what Jesus came to solve. Sin is the cause of everything. Think about it. Review it for a minute. I sat in on Mark's class this morning, and they're in Genesis right now, and they just talked about this not long ago, I'm sure. God created mankind perfect and sinless. God explained his expectations to them, which was obedience, and man chose to not do that. And as a result of that, everything is messed up. When sin came into the picture, everything is messed up. It is amazing to me how confused people are because they refuse to accept that simple concept. You ever had anybody say to you, I don't understand how a good God would allow so much suffering in the world. Have you ever heard? You ever heard that said? But we can't blame it on God. It's not God that is doing it. It is sin that causes all the suffering in the world. When the towers fell on 9-11, people all over the world asked, why would God do something like that? God didn't do that. That was a result of sin. Sin did it. Hundreds of thousands of innocent people have been slaughtered in wars around this world. How could God allow this, folks say? But God's not to be blamed for our sin. Sin is the cause of all these things. Did you know that Darwin's theory of evolution was formed almost entirely because of the fact that Charles Darwin could not get his brain around the concept of sin? He did not understand why God would allow blood and destruction in this world. He did not understand those very things, pain and suffering and death. If he had simply understood the fact that it was a result of sin, he, he, we might not have a theory of evolution today, but he couldn't get his mind around why everything was, in his words, red in tooth and claw. He said, I don't get that. There could be no God who would do that. And so he explained it away with his godless theory of evolution. Listen, every single negative thing in creation has as its root cause sin. Everything. Every illness, every war, every broken home, every financial disaster, every ruined relationship, every pain, every addiction, every death, every negative thing in this world we can trace back all the way to the fact of sin. God warned our first parents this would be the case. It was not the case before sin came into the picture. But they sinned, and it is now the case. Sin is our greatest problem. Our greatest problem. It's the reason for everything negative in society today. And that's why Jesus' name is so wonderful. Because he came, he alone came, to save us from that most central need of our lives. Call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. His name shall be called Wonderful. I wonder this morning, do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Unto us a child is born. Do you know that child who was born on that first Christmas day? Unto us a son is given. Have you received that son, that Savior, 
who was given to die on the cross to pay the price for your sins and mine. The government shall be upon his shoulder. Are you looking forward to that glorious day? Hallelujah. When he makes all things right, when he rules and reigns in peace and justice forever, his name shall be called Wonderful. Do you know my wonderful Jesus? Do you know him? Do you know the Christ of Christmas who came to save you from your sins? If not, will you turn to him today? If not, will you accept him today as your Savior and as your Lord? If not, will you believe the Lord Jesus Christ today? The prophecies of Christmas, what's so amazing about them is that they all prove, prove, we can use that word, that what Jesus said about himself, what the Bible says about Jesus, it's all true. He is who he said he would be. He did what he said he would do. He died on a cross for you. Do you know him? Do you know him? Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end.